everyone. You're listening to The Future of Food is You, a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. I'm your host, Abina Anamsamwa, and each week I talk to emerging talents in the food world, and they share what they're up to, as well as their dreams and predictions for what's ahead. As for me, I'm the founder of The Eden Place, a community that's all about gathering people intentionally around food. I love this new generation of chefs, bakers, and creatives making their way in the worlds of food, drink, media, and tech. Today's guest is Stacy Mae Yang Fung. Stacy is a Brooklyn-based baker and author whose debut cookbook, 50 Pies, 50 States, is coming out in June. Stacy is also the general manager at Big Night, the buzzy foodware store in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. I'm excited to chat with Stacy about her transition from design to food, why she picked pie as her specialty, and the process of writing her debut cookbook. For you podcast lovers out there, here's a recommendation. You need to listen to Radio Cherry Bomb, the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network's classic show. Each Monday, Radio Cherry Bomb host Carrie Diamond, founder and editor of Cherry Bomb Magazine, is joined by some of the most interesting food personalities in the biz, from folks like Ina Garten, Hetty McKinnon, and Claire Saffitz. Don't miss the number one female-focused food podcast around. Tune in wherever you get your podcast and make sure to subscribe while you're there. You can also find the transcripts on cherrybomb.com. Thank you to Kerrygold for supporting The Future of Food is You. Kerrygold is the iconic Irish brand famous for its rich butter and cheese made in Ireland with milk from grass-fed cows. Let's talk butter first. There's a Kerrygold butter for all of you out there. From soft and spreadable butter in a tub to sticks of salted or unsalted, a perfect measurement option for foolproof cooking. There's a Kerrygold butter blended with olive oil, which is about to become your pantry essential. My go-to is a traditional block of Kerrygold unsalted butter foils, perfect for baking because of that higher butter fat content and because I can control the amount of salt in the specific recipe. Then there's Kerrygold cheese, The options go way beyond their classic Irish cheddar. There's Kerrygold Blarney cheese, which is a Gouda style. Kerrygold Dubliner, sweet and nutty with a bite similar to aged Parmesan. Kerrygold Skellig, a tangy take on cheddar. And the rich and delicious Kerrygold Cashel Blue farmhouse cheese. For the best cheese board, just accompany these with some grapes, your favorite crackers, and some funky jams for contrasting vibes. You're all set. If you haven't tried Kerrygold yet, don't delay. The future is now. Look for their butter and cheese at your favorite supermarket, specialty grocery store, or cheese shop. Visit KerrygoldUSA.com for recipes and product information. Now, let's check in with today's guest. Stacy. how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty chill. Amazing. Thanks for joining us on the Future of Food is You podcast. Honors all mine. So you were born in Singapore, but lived in... Hong Kong and Indonesia. Yes, that is correct. How did food show up in your childhood? I come from a Chinese family. In a Chinese family, it's not very emotional. There's not a lot of hugging and there's not a lot of like, I love yous or you're doing great. It's mostly food based. My grandparents and my family would always be like, have you eaten yet? And that's like their way of showing I care about you or a really nice plate of like cut fruit. Then you're like, okay, cool. My parents love me. Even though, like, I came from a very tumultuous household, like, at 6 p.m., there was always food on the table. That's when it was, like, dinner time and everybody ate together and didn't talk much, but just being together was what meant the most. Mm -hmm. Were there specific foods that just are so connected to your childhood? 
I was born in Singapore, but I grew up in Hong Kong. Whenever we would travel back to Singapore and eat chili crab, you're like sitting in a hawker center. It's 85 degrees. You're sweating. Everybody's eating this crab together, and it's such like a communal event, and you're dipping the fried dough and the sauce. Just getting lost in the sauce with your family while you're eating is just the best. So you then moved to Savannah, Georgia, where you go to Savannah College of Design. What was the food scene like there, and were you able to find foods that reminded you of the different places that you grew up in? My move to Savannah was a really big one. I moved from Hong Kong to Savannah, Georgia, because I wanted a really, really big change. There weren't really any foods that reminded me of home, but then there were foods that slowly became part of what I feel like is home to Mm. me. So in Savannah, I got introduced to, like, grits and collard greens and barbecue and chicken fried steak biscuits so many biscuits i ate so many biscuits that now also has become food that reminds me of home savannah was my first home in the u.s when i feel a little lost if i eat like a hot bowl of grits like i feel a little more grounded and i feel it's like the same way i feel when i eat a hot bowl of rice that same homecoming feeling Are you a cook your grits with water or cook your grits with milk kind of girl? I'm a cook your grits with water, mainly because I'm very lactose untalented, but I don't care. And so, like, I try to do grits with water or broth. Then I add just, like, a ton of cheese. That's my compromise. You're lactose untalented? I've never heard that before. (laughs) I like that better than intolerant. Yeah, you just made that up. Yeah, I'm just, like, not great at it. I was like, is this a new thing that they just, (laughs) no one told me about? You went to SCAD, and what did you study while you were there? When I went to SCAD, I studied fibers, which is textiles, and accessory design. At the time, accessory design wasn't a major yet, so I made my own major where, like, I took everything I learned in fibers, which was amazing. It's, like, screen printing, weaving, knitting, all that good textural stuff, making repeat patterns. Honestly, going to SCAD was the best. I cannot recommend it higher. (laughs) Um, And then in accessory design, we learned like shoemaking, like handbag make. It was just honestly the best. And my final collection at SCAD was like a 13-piece luggage collection. So like I did all the patterns for it, printed all the fabric, and then made all the pieces. And it was my ode to traveling just like my whole life. And now traveling is kind of a slog. You know, like it's not very glamorous anymore. And it used to be so amazing. So like my mood board for that collection was when my grandparents on, I think it was like their 40th or 50th wedding anniversary, went on a cruise on the QE2. And it was like my grandma had all her hard suitcases and it was like such an event. Yeah. And I feel like now we kind of take travel for granted. We just find like the easiest way to do everything Mm -hmm. when sometimes it's nice to just glamorize everything a little bit. And so when you finished at SCAD, you then went to accessory design and you worked at brands like JCPenney and Nike Brands along with some others. What was that experience like creating stuff for brands that are such household names in the U.S.? That was such a wonderful opportunity for me where when I left college, like I had an internship and a job waiting for me in New York. Like, what a dream. And it wasn't really scary for me to do that move because New York is so similar to Hong Kong where I grew up. A lot of my friends from SCAD, we all moved up here together. So it was kind of like, okay, like we're all going back to the big city or whatever. When I first moved to the city, I worked for Foley and Carina, which is like a smaller contemporary brand. Just getting to work in so many different levels of fashion and accessory design is so exciting because I always used to say, like, your weight fluctuates, right? Like, your dress size changes, your pants size changes, but you can always buy a handbag. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want. Like, handbag is a thing that lasts. 
pants go in and out or like dresses go in and out of style or you don't really like it anymore. But people make investments into their handbags or they talk about bags that they love for years and years. And that's why I kind of focused all my things into handbag design because I just thought, oh, it's so nice that you get to design and make something for someone that's going to last them a really, really long time. And they're going to be really attached to it and really attached to like the way that they organize it too to make it work best for them. That's so awesome. Were you always a crafty kid or was crafting something that was always a part of your life and that's what inspired you to go to SCAD? Yeah, I've always been a crafty kid. My dad notoriously did not let me and my sisters play with Barbie dolls. He thought that they promoted really terrible body image, which honestly, Papa Fong, (laughs) he knows what's up. Shout out to Papa Fong. Shout out to Papa Fong. (laughs) So we played a lot with like arts and crafts kits. So like all I did was draw all day or do nail art, do shell art. I've always found like fun, creative outlets for everything. So I knew I always wanted to end up in design some way because my dad worked in the hotel industry and he let me meet everybody at each step of like how you even, I guess, put a hotel together, right? Like interior design, like designing the uniforms, every single creative process. Like he was very open to it with me and my sisters and we talked about it all the time. And I just, like, really appreciated all the effort it takes to produce a thing that you might necessarily take for granted. And that's how I ended up in design. While you're working in design, you start a pie project that you call 50 Pies, 50 States. When did you start working on this? So I started working on this in 2015, 2016. Okay. So at that time, I'd been in the city for a while and kind of felt very lost in the sauce. (laughs) <laughs> to yeah. put it lightly. Lost in the sauce, adult version. Adult version, kids. lost in the sauce, adult version, yeah. 2.0. During my time in America, all my friends would go home to like their childhood homes and they had all these family traditions that like I didn't really have and also my family lived so far away. So I would spend all these holidays at my friends' families' homes. I was like, what is my home? What does home mean to me? During that time, I was on a work visa and it was getting to the point where it was like, I can't apply for any more work visas. Am I going to go home to Hong Kong or Singapore or should I try applying for my permanent residency? At my job at that time, I talked to them about it and they were like, well, we'll help you apply for your permanent residency, which is is so incredible that they were willing to take that chance on me because it's a very laborious process. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated. Very expensive. Very expensive. Lots of paperwork. I was like, okay, that was a decision that I got to make for myself. This is my home. I want to be here. All my friends that are here are my family. And this is the life that I've chosen for myself. Any move prior to this have been like for college or my dad's job. This was a decision I got to solely make on my own. And during that time when I felt very untethered, my best friend Patrick bought me the 4 and 20 Blackbirds cookbook Mm -hmm. for Christmas. And I kind of did the Julie and Julia situation where I was like, okay, like if I give myself this project, I'm going to bake every single pie in this cookbook. It is my favorite pie shop in the city. I'm just going to do this. And it'll give me something to kind of ground myself when day-to-day fashion just kind of felt a little meh. That kind of led me to thinking, like, while I was applying for my permanent residency, like, what is something that can tether me to why I actually want to be here in the first place? Because mm-hmm. the paperwork can be, like, very laborious. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to bake a pie for every state in America, and I'm going to give that pie to someone that I know from that state. Because the best way you can learn about a place is food. Right. Yep. Like you travel, like you go sit in a dive bar somewhere, you start chatting to someone, you ask them like where they eat lunch or where they go to dinner. And that's the best place to start. And so I was like, okay, let's do pie. Because to me, 
pie is the most American American thing. thing. (laughs) Wow. And also, for me, I grew up in Hong Kong and was born in Singapore, which were both British colonies. And so for me, pie was more of a savory thing, not a sweet thing. And then when I moved here, I was like, oh, my God. There's fruit pies and ice cream pies and custard pies. And it's just, honestly, pie's the limit here. And I just found that so incredible. So what better way than to find my journey home through pie and also explore the flavors of each state? Because honestly, it could be 50 different countries. Like each state is so different and so personal and has such wonderful regional cuisine. It was hard to capture it all in one tiny 10-inch circle that's a pie, but I tried my best. And yeah, yeah, the exploration was wonderful and very delicious. That's amazing. So you started in 2016. And when did you make the 50th pie? I made the 50th pie in 2021. Whoa, five years. I mean, a lot of people were like, why didn't you do it faster? It was my project. When I started, I was still working full-time in fashion, Mm. so I'd really only do a pie a month because I wanted each pie to get the treatment that it deserved, the research that it deserved. And then during the pandemic, I took a pause on my 50 Pies project because I couldn't travel. I couldn't physically see the person that I was going to give the pie to. I took a pause on that because I didn't want to half-ass the last six pies. The last pie, I did them alphabetically because, oh, yeah, because okay. I know. That's awesome. 50 pies is a lot. So when I started the project, I only ever thought about my life three pies at a time. And that's how I think about my life now. You know, it's more digestible. Yeah. Amount. Pie is not an easy task. I feel like I love to bake, but pie was the one thing where I was like, that was a level two type of activity or intermediate activity, if you want to call it. How did you think about the pie dough recipe that you used for your bases? So I took a riff on the 4 and 20 Blackbirds recipe, Mm -hmm. which is like an ironclad pie crust recipe. And yeah, pie crust is hard. It took me a solid five months to really figure it out. And it ended up becoming more of a like a touch and a feel thing. Is it too dry outside? Is it too humid? There's no exact amount of liquid. Like it totally depends on what the air is like, which sounds so hokey, but it's totally the truth. Yeah. But I think what I really liked in design and what I really like in baking is getting lost in it and you're focused and it's like a fully active task that you're doing. And that's the only thing that you can think about is the pie that's in front of you. Cancels all the noise out. What is the 4 and 20 Blackbirds recipe? Is it like a all butter pie crust. It's all butter. Short crust. Yeah, Yeah. all butter. I'm an all butter girl. Mm -hmm. I've tried lard. I've tried many different fats, but I'm a butter girl. (laughs) Yeah. And so you're cubing the butter, cold water, butter, stir together. Yes. Freeze, roll out. Freeze, roll out. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. That's so fun. And then talk to me about the process in deciding and developing on the flavors, because you're now working with 50 different flavor profiles I'm sure some ingredients were easy to get, some ingredients were not. But what was it like developing all the different flavors, and how did you do your research? For each state, I always looked at if they had already, like, a designated state fruit, state food, or some sort of, like, regional cuisine that was definitely theirs. And then I like to make things difficult for myself. Or, like, I like to make things a little bit more complicated. She loves a challenge. She loves a challenge. She loves a challenge. So, for example, like, Alabama... The state fruits are blackberries and peaches, and the state nut is pecans. So that pie built itself. And also I was like, you know what? It's the first pie. Let's just go with the flow. But then, like, for certain states like Nevada, 
I was like, what am I going to do for Nevada? Like, how can I capture just Vegas in a pie? Vegas in a pie, right? <laughs> and yeah. so I decided to have this. I had a harebrained idea where I was like, what if I made a pie that was like an all-you-can-eat buffet? So then I started an Excel spreadsheet where I went down the strip and I wrote down what were the common denominators between each of the casinos, all-you-can-eat buffets. And the common <laughs> denominators were like, you know, your prime rib, crab legs, shrimp cocktail, Caesar salad, cheesecake. So Oof. I was like, okay. My stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, okay, how can I make a pie into like compartments that kind of look like chafing dishes mm-hmm. of a buffet table? And I was like, you know, there are those like cast iron biscuit pans that are like separated into eight. So then my Vegas pie ended up being half savory, half sweet, like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Whoa. Because pie is just a circle, right? It can be savory or sweet. It can be anything you want it to yeah. be. Just like America, it is a metaphor. It's a melting pot. It is a melting flavors. pot of flavors. Yeah. America and this home and this country can be what you want it to be and like how you mold it and how you approach it. I feel like that's the joy of baking each state was like its own individual task. And like I really focused on that thing and also talking to the person that I was eventually going to give the pie to. What is something that ties them to their home? That's so exciting. It's really beautiful that you were able to share the pies with people. How did you decide on the people to share them with? And was it people you knew or people that you were getting to know in the process? It always started with someone that I knew from that state. Not only was this like a project for myself to tether myself to this country, but also this was like my grand Nora Ephron, Nancy Myers rom-com gesture (laughs) to show my friends how much I love them. Because, like I said before, coming from a Chinese household where, like, your emotions are quite withholding, this was my way to show my friends that I love them, like, in pie form. I didn't know anybody from South Dakota. I always chat to a bunch of friends, and I'm like, hey, does anybody know anyone? I love to meet them. I love to talk to them. And my friend Matt, who got the Massachusetts pie, he had just done, like, a graphic design project for a bunch of historians that lived in South Dakota. I was like, bingo, bingo, let's go. So I started emailing them, and they were like, do you want to come to Rapid City, South Dakota? And I was like, okay. So I got on a plane with my best friend Lauren, and I baked the pie for them, and they were experts in, like, Native Americans in the Black Hills of South Dakota. They told me about Sean Sherman, the sous chef. And so Mm -hmm. I read his cookbook cover to cover, and his recipes really influenced the pies for South Dakota. I've gotten to show the people that I know how much I love them, and I've also gotten to meet so many wonderful people because of the pie projects. That's so awesome. And for those of you who are listening, Sean Sherman is a sous chef from South Dakota. And he's also the founder of the education business and catering company, The Sous Chef, as well as the nonprofit North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. So what was the most challenging pie to make? Every single state has a thing, especially food-wise, flower-wise, bird-wise. But which pie was the one that probably took the most headspace? Oh, man. So I feel like Nevada was complicated, right? Like there were so many bits and bobs. I think the pie that took the most headspace for me was New York. What? I thought that'd be the easiest one. So it was easy. It was easy and it was hard because New York is my home. I've been here now for, whew, it's my 13th year in the city. Wow, a real New Yorker. A real New Yorker. And how can I make this like the most wonderful pie? Not that I'm playing favorites, but this city means so much to me. 
I wrote myself a letter when I was 15 that I was like, I'm going to live in New York City and I'm going to buy a camel pea coat and I'm going to buy an apartment where the elevator doors like open into my loft apartment. And so for New York, I was like, I knew it wanted to be an apple pie and I knew I wanted the top of the pie to be like an Entenmann's coffee cake, the thick crumbs, because they were the first delivery service in the city. On my first vacations to New York with my dad for his job, every time like we would meet his friends that lived here, there was always an Entenmann's coffee Coffee cake cake. on the Mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. And like that was like a thing that really stuck in my head as a kid. So I was like, okay, I want to do this, but like how can I make this bigger? So I ended up making 150 mini apple pies with the Entenmann's coffee cake crumble, and I gave them to my favorite provision store, R&D Foods. I gave them to my tattoo shop. I gave them to my yoga studio. And then I threw a really big party for all of my friends, getting to see all of my friends eat these tiny pies all together, like everybody that makes this place makes New York my home and also makes America my home was very special. I feel like that's the one that took up the most headspace because it meant so much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you have one to two tips for bakers who are like, this is the year I'm going to nail pies. I'm going to get pies right. Take your time. Just chill. It's not always going to turn out. Not every single one of my pies has turned out great. Some of them have been like straight to the bin, straight to trash. But he did it. That's all but I, I did it. And yeah. exactly. And like my greatest advice is just chill. Chill, not only in the sense where, like, you're keeping calm, but also use your freezer and your fridge (laughs) as your friend, you know? Chill. (laughs) Like, it's so important. Like, keep things cold. And, yeah, just put good tunes on. Spend some good time in your kitchen. Have some nice, comfortable shoes on because back support is important. Lean into it. Know that you're going to make a mistake, and that's fine. It's so beautiful that it came full circle because you were gifted a 4 and 20 Blackbirds pie book. That was what sparked the inspiration for this. And then you transitioned from design to working at 4 and 20 Blackbirds full time. What is 4 and 20 Blackbirds? 4 and 20 Blackbirds is a pie shop in Brooklyn that was started by the sisters Melissa and Emily Elson, who I love very much. During the pandemic, I got let go from my fashion job and I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, Stasis, you're going to do a hard pivot. So I cold emailed a bunch of bakeries all over the city because at this point I was Three or four years into my pie project, I was a pretty good home baker. Not the best, but I feel like... I, you could make a pie. I could make a pie. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, why don't I give this a, sh- a shot? And 4 and 20 wrote back to me. And I went in, did a trial day. They hired me. And I ended up working there for a year and a half, almost two years. And it was honestly the best experience ever. Like, yeah. I loved working there. I love the team there. Honestly, shout out to Catherine and Lauren and Juan and Eileen. I loved my time there. We listened to great tunes, and we baked a ton of pie. And I learned so much more about pie that I couldn't have from watching videos or reading books. It was fully hands-on. And Rika, our supervisor, who I also love very much, she taught me how to crimp a pie like no other. I couldn't be more thankful that the universe did the most poetic thing ever where it took me to the bakery that started it all. And it was the best experience of my life working yeah. at 420 That's So I can yeah. see your face just like lighting up <laughs> thinking about it. What was the transition like from home baking to now being in a professional kitchen with all the standards and the flavor profiles and the quality control that happens there? It was really exciting. It was like exciting to learn how to bake at scale because I had only ever thought about baking one pie at a time. And now we were thinking about baking pies 40 at a time or 80 at a time or during Thanksgiving, it was like by the hundreds. It was fun to see how the business 
was run, how the sausage is made. (laughs) I would say there's a lot of processes and stuff, which is not too dissimilar than working with factories in handbags, right? Mm. Like there's a process to everything and there's a method to all the madness. And yeah, it was great. Can you tell us what a typical day was like in the bakery? The best part about working pie is that it didn't start too early. We yeah, didn't you're to, not making bread. You're not we're making, not making bread. And, yeah. like, we'd start the day by baking the pies for the next day and then assembling the pies for the next day and then making fillings. And we knew exactly what was going to happen each day, which was nice. I worked there during the pandemic where everything felt so uncertain. And I knew when I went in, this was going to happen. That kind of grounded me a little bit, which is really nice. And it was Hard work. You're standing for a long time in front of a hot oven. Your hands are really tired and your feet are really tired. At the end of the day, you accomplish something that's wonderful and someone gets to enjoy the fruits of your labor like at home. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the beautiful thing about being in food is that someone gets to enjoy it. Someone gets to eat it and like it's nourishing. What was the steepest learning curve when it came to working in that bakery? I think reading recipes that were so... It was like so many eggs. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it it was like so many eggs. And it was also like, I guess, learning to organize the process in a way that was the smartest, Mm -hmm. you know, measing out all the ingredients at the beginning. And then so you're just going like boop, boop, boop. And then it's done. And it's just, yeah, I think it was timing. That's so awesome. Were there any tips that you took from professional pie making that you found helped continue the pie project or make your pies shine? I feel like I perfected my egg wash recipe. Okay. And then also, like, I got good at, I'm not the best crimper in the world, but I got so much better at crimping. And crimping a stack of 40 rollouts at the bakery became such a meditation or, like, tiny baking tricks that I would learn from being on the ovens. And also, honestly, eating the pie. Like, getting to eat the pie and tasting the textures and eating everything. That helps a lot in research and development. Eat yeah. the food. Yeah. And so now you transition and you are working at Big Night? I am. Yes. So what is Big Night? Big Night is a wonderful dinner party essential store in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, started by Catherine Lewen, who is the best. And I, like my email to 4 and 20 Blackbirds, cold emailed Catherine. I was thinking about leaving the bakery because I had gotten my cookbook deal and I needed a little more time not in front of an oven. It was very sad to leave, but also the right move for me when the cookbook thing started ramping up. And so I was like, ooh, it'd be cool to work like at a retail store that I feel really encompasses everything I love about food and everything I love about home. And when Big Night opened, I immediately was like, I have to go there. Catherine is a genius. This is so wonderful. So I cold emailed Catherine. I met with her and I was their first hire. We became fast friends, and I started working there, and I love, like, Big Night is a tiny store that has very beautiful light, and, like, basking in the light and getting to work with all the vendors that we carry is honestly, like, the most wonderful thing. And I live in South Brooklyn, and Greenpoint is quite far from me, but I am blessed now with two neighborhoods. I know so many people in Greenpoint now, and it's nice to have two New York lives. That's so funny you say that. (laughs) Yeah. And the wonderful part about Big Night, too, is just meeting the customers, talking to them, and helping them find the gifts that they need to, like, go to a wedding or for a birthday, or help them pick out, like, what they're going to have for dinner or what they're doing for date night. Recently, for Valentine's Day, I got to help all these people pick out things for people that they love. 
I think that is the most wonderful thing ever. Like, I love gift giving, you know? All my friends always say if there was a gift giving Olympics, I would medal first place. So I feel like those are some great friends. (laughs) So I feel those skills really helped me with being a big night. And yeah, I couldn't be more thankful to be working there now. That's awesome. Can you describe for our listeners who haven't been to the store or don't know much about the store, what is the layout and what's the essence behind the store? Big Night has everything you need to throw a dinner party. You can shop cross categories. It's got all the food you need to make your dinner, and it's got all the beautiful glassware and servingware you need to serve your dinner. So it's everything you need to throw, like, the perfect dinner party. Have a martini night, eat caviar, like, we've got it all. The store is only, I think it's, like, 200-something square feet, so it's very small. Mm. But we've packed a lot of things in there, and it packs a roll punch. And, yeah, the vibes are immaculate. The vibes are Are immaculate. immaculate. (laughs) I love that. In the last couple of weeks, there was an article about the shoppy shop concept, talking about how different stores are creating aesthetics and brands for the way that we shop and the way that we are able to consume food. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and why you think that trend is so popular now? I think it's like the most wonderful trend ever. For example, my friends that live in smaller towns in like Nebraska or Oklahoma or all these places that you might not get stuff from Spain or I don't know, like Fishwife or Omsom or all these things. These tiny stores that are bringing these things get to expose so many people to so many different things all over the country. That's so wonderful. And it's also getting to shop locally, like in your neighborhood at a smaller place. And you get to know the people that work there, right? People that come to Big Night get to know me and I get to know them. And you start this relationship and it's just, yeah. It's a great joy to see you in there. You always get the best (laughs) recommendation. It's like one of the few stores in New York, like I cannot leave unless I've walked away with at least three things. Yes. What are three things right now that you are loving at Big Night that are in stock? We have this Dan Dan noodle sauce that's amazing. You can eat it straight out of the jar with noodles. I've eaten it with rice cakes. I made a pseudo seven-layer dip with it. It's Whoa. I know. It's incredible. We have a calamansi spread, like a little jam from this company called Pika. So delicious. Like calamansi is not really a flavor you see a lot. But I grew up eating it a lot because there was a large Filipino community in Hong Kong. And so it's just so wonderful to see that like on the shelf. And another thing that I'll always love and I can eat it straight out of the jar is sambal goreng mm-hmm. and from Bukas Bangas in L.A. And it's these two Balinese sisters that started it. And it's so delicious. Like it's fried shallots and fried chilies. And you can put it on something or you can eat it straight out of the jar. Can you tell our audience what calamansi is? Calamansi is, I would say, a hybrid between... A lime and a lemon, maybe? Ooh, okay. So And it's, like, very sour, very tart, but, like, very refreshing. My hunch is that, like, calamansi is going to have its rise to fame the way Yuzu did, you know? Yeah. I think it's, I mean, <laughs> It's Sanzo, trending. It's coming. Yeah, Sanzo it's coming. has that calamansi drink. Yeah. You know? it'll, it'll have its trend. Yes. Even it'll have its moments. Mixed feelings about that whole thing. <laughs> well, I want to ask this question. I didn't get to ask this when we were talking about the pies, but... Have you visited all 50 states as a process of making the pies? I have not. I okay. have. I actually have a map that's like a scratch-off map. Oh, those are so cute. They're so yeah. cute. And so I scratch one off every single time. The two states I want to go to the most are Idaho and Montana. Oh. I'd love to go to Idaho. Just Go to the state fair. Go to the state fair. But mostly, yeah, just sit under a tree and take a nap or something. In Idaho, I think it would be pretty great. Yeah. You can do that in Central Park. Too, I can I do guess. Central Park, but it's different. It doesn't hit. It's different. Yeah. It doesn't hit the same as in totally. Idaho. Totally. And there are lots of states, like, I haven't been to. 
I've never been to Kansas. I'd love to go to Kansas. I'd love to go to Michigan. I'd love to go to, honestly, every single state. That's awesome. So you managed to turn your project into a book, which is incredible. I feel like we have so many debut cookbook authors that are coming on the show, and it's such an incredible process to be able to take your ideas and just bring them to life and be able to hold on to your ideas. So how did you get this project pitched, and how did you turn it into a book proposal? During the pandemic, because I had a lot of time at home, I was like, you know what, I'm going to write the bones of a book proposal because the dream was always for this to be a cookbook, but it was very much a dream for me. I didn't think it was like attainable. My friend Carrie, who wrote an anthology about New Jersey, she had a book proposal, so we talked through what the process is about. So I started writing the book proposal. And while I was writing the book proposal, Christopher Hemelin, who was my literary agent at the time, he reached out to me asking if I wanted representation. And at the same time of that, Michael Serban, who is now my editor at Voracious and imprint of Little Brown, he reached out to me too. And I was like, oh my God, I'm about to sign to this literary agent and then like meet this publisher. And I was like, what is going on? The universe kind of all brought it together. I couldn't be more thankful that I get to share the story in book form. Like I get to hold it because like this project had been online, right? Like on Instagram or on my website, like it wasn't a thing I could like really hold. This goes back to the design. Like when I design a handbag, at the end of it, I got to hold the thing that I make. At the end of all the baking, I get to hold the pie that I make. At the end of this process, I'm going to get to hold the book that has all the recipes, all the stories, all the love letters to the people that the pies went to. And I feel like that's very special to me. That's so beautiful. And putting a cookbook together is no small task. I feel like you've probably been working on it for two years now. It's been two years. Yeah, the shoot for the cookbook was 17 days. My long Thanksgiving shifts at 4 and 20 Blackbirds really geared me up. I was yeah. ready. I was ready to go. She knew how to roll and cramp <laughs> and do it many times. Just talk to me about the process of putting the cookbook together. So you get your agent, you get a publisher, you get an editor, you're starting to work on it. How did it come about? Basically, I start writing my manuscript and then you have to produce a shoot, right? Because cookbooks have photos. And the wonderful thing about working with my editor, Michael, was like he really trusted me and he trusted my creative vision. I will say because I was in design, like I had such a like an idea, you know, like I had and an eye, like an idea in my head of like what I wanted the book to look like. And I made all these mood boards and all these decks about the vibe. I wanted it to look like old National Parks posters, Mm, like like vintage Pyrex colors. And then also with picking the photographer that would work best or the food stylist that would be the one to bring my vision to life or, like, finding the prop stylist. I couldn't have assembled a better team. Shout out to, like, Alana, Kate, Maeve, Nam, and Catherine, and Zach for bringing my whole book to life. We spent so much time, like, the same way I did with baking each state. When taking the photo for each state, we thought about what the light would look like at a certain time. We made all these scenarios. For Kansas, we were like, what would it look like at 5 p.m. at dinner time? The sun is almost setting, but not quite yet. Like, we, yeah. that's how we lit all the shots. We made all these little, like, stories in our head. And I can't wait for everybody to see, like, all the stories we made together. Yeah. I hope you have one with at least a pie on a windowsill. Oh, I mean. T- oh, okay. <laughs> that, I was on the edge of my seat for that one. <laughs> so you said the the shoot took 17 days. Yes. Why so long? A lot of those days were like prep days because a lot of pie baking, like you make the crust ahead so it can rest. You can make the fillings ahead and stuff. And you can really only do 
eight or ten shots in one day. And also, like, with the state pies, with making them, you're shooting the same thing, right? It's a pie. It's a circle. How can you make it different? So we thought really hard, and it really came down to lighting and props. Shout out to Maeve Sheridan. She is a prop stylist guru. She brought all the perfect things to make each one feel so special. Each pie got the five-star treatment. I just wanted people, like when they open the book to the state that's theirs, to feel transported to where it is. Yeah. And yeah, like props and stuff help a lot. Set the scene. Yes. How did your design experience come in handy? I know you mentioned that you had an eye for it, but what things from fashion world, pie world came together to really make the book come to life? It was probably like colors and composition, how I wanted each state to be laid out, how I wanted even the pie to look. For Tennessee, I knew it was going to be a biscuits and gravy pie because that's Dolly Parton, who was the love of my life's favorite breakfast. Icon, a legend. <laughs> but I was like, you know what I could do is I could make Dolly Parton out of pie crust. So I made a portrait of her out of pie crust for the topper of the Tennessee pie. And like I sat there and I painted with diluted espresso and made her hair 3D with pie crust. It was so fun to get to be crafty again in a yeah. different form. Eating Dolly Parton was kind of funny. Like, <laughs> but, like, yeah. but that was an exciting part of taking everything that I've learned in my life so far, putting it in a thing that's going to dictate where my life is going to be. Were there any recipes from your project that you had to change for the book to make it more accessible for people to be able to bake through? I changed a couple mostly because when I was first doing the project, I was like, oh, I could have done better. Mm. I mean, in my life, I always feel I can always do better. Always improving. Always improving. So, like, I switched a couple that you'll see when the book comes out to make it feel more like that state or make it feel more like the person that the pie was going to, more Mm. like them. So, yeah, there were a couple switches, but all for the better. I want to talk to you a little bit about how social media played a role into this because you documented your whole journey on social media. You still have your old photos where you're holding up a cute little sign with the facts. Why did you decide to document on social media? It was the easiest way to keep track of everything. When I was applying for my green card, you have to keep track of like where you traveled and stuff. And so I referred to my Instagram where I was like, I was in London on this date. Social media has also let me meet so many people from all these different states where they got to guess what the next pie was going to be. Or when I posted what the pie was, they could be like, oh, my God, how did you even get here? This is so crazy. And it's the great connector. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Is there someone that you would love to give a copy of the book to when you think of dream recipients of 50 pies, 50 states? Honestly, only answer, it will be the only answer ever, it's Dolly Parton. (laughs) Like, it would be so Why Dolly Parton? I have always loved Dolly Parton since I was little, which seems so funny because I was a girl that grew up on the other side of the world. But the first time I saw her, I was like, this is a person that she does what she wants. She wears what she wants. She speaks her mind. Her songs have been the soundtrack of my entire life. It would be so special just because I've listened to her music so much during the process of all of this, like from the conception of the project to where it is now, becoming a cookbook. But it would be so special to be able to give it to her. And she has a whole paragraph in the acknowledgments section. It would just be so special. Dolly Parton, hands down. Dolly Parton. All right. Well, if anyone knows Dolly Parton listening to the podcast, (laughs) we have a cookbook for her. How do you want people to feel when they get a copy of the book? Or how do you want them to get to know your story through the book? When they look at their state, I want them to be like, oh, my God, yes, she did great. But honestly, it would be also really fun if they're like, nah, she didn't get that right. And honestly, tell me. I'd love to know. 
And I just want them to see how much I love this country. And the thing about this country that I love, it's not the politics or the Empire State Building or the skyscrapers. It's the people. This book is about pie and it's about America, but it's mostly about the American people and the people that call this place home and the people that made this country my home. It's more than a cookbook. It's like about how I've found myself a home when I felt so untethered to anything. Yeah, that's what I want people to see in the book. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Find your way home. Yes. (laughs) Stacey's book, 50 Pies, 50 States, comes out on June 13th, and you can pre-order it wherever books are sold. Stacey, we're about to do our fun Future of Food as You tradition, the Future Flash 5. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's Let's do this. Let's get into it. Let's party. Okay. The Future of Cookbooks. More stories. The Future of Pie Crusts. Limitless. The Future of Dinnerware. Personalized. The future of social media. Essential. The future of food design. Exciting. I love that. Well, Stacey, if we want to continue to support you and learn more about your journey, what are the best places to find you? Find me on Instagram at 50pies, 50states, and pre-order my cookbook uh, wherever books are sold. It comes out June 13th, and I can't wait. I'm very excited for you guys to see it. Yeah, well, really excited. I cannot wait to bake a Georgia pie and a New York pie from your cookbook, so that's so awesome. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Abina. This has been the best. Before we go, our guest is going to leave a voicemail at the Future of Food mailbox, just talking to themselves 10 years from now. You have reached the Future of Food as You mailbox. Please leave your message after the beep. Hey, Future Stacy, It's Stacy from many moons ago. I hope you're still living, laughing, and loving. I'm sure things in your life have changed quite a bit over the past few years, especially since your debut cookbook came out but hopefully you're still surrounded by the people you love most and a slice of pie isn't too far away. If my intuition and foresight is right, you're sitting on the back porch of your brownstone in Prospect Heights with a cup of coffee or maybe something a little stronger in your hands with your puppy Nora at your feet and the soft sounds of Waxahachie wafting through the air from your record player. Because yes, you're still absolutely obsessed with her music. I hope that you're on your third or most likely your fourth cookbook. You are a Virgo after all. But most of all, I hope that you're happy. Not happy just in the ha-ha, content sort of way, but truly happy down to every atom in your body. I hope that you are engulfed in the love that's in front of you and that you finally figure out how to fold a fitted sheet. Only you know what you've learned in the years that have passed, and only you can be open to what you're going to learn in the years that are coming. The thing I know now, and you still know then, is that you never really know where a slice of pie will take you. I love you, and I like you. Just one more thing, have you eaten yet? That's it for today's show. Do you know someone who you think is the future of food? Tell us about them. Nominate them at the link in our show notes or leave us a rating and a review and tell me about them in the review. I can't wait to read more about them. Thanks to Carrie Gold for sponsoring the show. Visit CarrieGoldUSA.com for more. The Future of Food is You is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. Thanks to the team at CityVox Studios, executive producers Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker, and associate producer, Jenna Sadu. Catch you on the future flip.